Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's August 3rd, 2023, and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Housebarbie, and I am flying solo today. Austin is away doing much more important things than sitting behind a microphone listening to me talk. And I'm going to be kind of running the show myself. Good luck to me. Uh, but don't worry. We've got a really, really interesting kind of topic that we're going to be going through today, which has been the pretty significant uh, exploit that has happened in what many are calling kind of a a quote-unquote systemically important DeFi protocol curve, one of the largest and certainly most significant DeFi protocols that exist, has had a major and more importantly, their first ever exploit. And there is a lot of repercussions and ripple effects happening off the back of this. So I'm going to explain in simple terms what's happened, what's ongoing, why you should care, and what this might mean for the coming weeks, months and years ahead in DeFi. So let's dive straight in. Okay, let's start from the top. Curve. What is Curve? Well, it's one of the largest DeFi protocols by Total Value Locked. And as of last week, had somewhere in the region of $3.2 billion worth of assets locked within it. And honestly, myself included, uh, saw this as one of the most credible projects in the space. Without Curve, you know, we we likely wouldn't have had the DeFi mania that happened and kicked off the 2020 and 2021 bull cycle. Um, they, they are such an important innovation as well in the space, comparable and complementary to that of Uniswap. Curve really are what brought liquidity in stable coins to DeFi, which you cannot understate how important that is. And Really, the function of Curve is to trade between, with very minimal slippage um, or price impact that happens because of the deep liquidity that exists, between two similar assets. Example, USDT to USDC, so trading between stablecoins. The lion's share of this happens on Curve. And then between other similar assets. So, for example, ETH and staked ETH, ETH and Alchemix ETH, right? You know, the synthetic pairs. This is such an important building block of all of DeFi. So where are we today? What's happened? Well, the net net as of kind of today being Thursday, uh, August 3rd, Curve has had an exploit over the past week, started on Sunday, July 31st, and it resulted in around about $70 million worth of funds being exploited, stolen from Curve. And in particular, from four individual Curve pools. So on Sunday morning, Eastern Time, around 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, there was a bug that was exploited. And I think it's really important to call out, the bug occurred in the programming language, Viper, which is almost like a 
alternative to solidity, which is used a lot across Ethereum, of course, and Ethereum-based products uh, projects. Viper is a less common programming language, uh, but is used to power the large parts of Curve protocol. What the Viper programming language exposed was a re-entrancy bug. This is probably one of the most devastating attack vectors to fall victim to. And in fairness to Curve, this happened at the programming language level, not actually in the coding of their own protocol. So you know, this is really a Viper issue um, um, <clears throat> versus Curve completely. And I think that's worth calling out here to make sure that we're... And I'm not necessarily even trying to prescribe brain, uh, uh, blame here, just more, you know, actually diagnosing where this came from. So what is a re-entrancy bug? Well, if any of you were around uh, in the past kind of six, seven years of, of crypto, and even if you weren't, you may have heard about the DAO hack. And this is like the most monumental hack, resulted in actually Ethereum rolling back their chain. It's the reason why Ethereum Classic exists today. And many a book has been written about this. Now, a re-entrancy attack it, I'll try and explain this in like the least technical way, <clears throat> but it requires a bug in the smart contract, right, to exploit this. And what this allows the attacker to do is to withdraw funds from a smart contract into a, a new kind of untrusted contract, so a new wallet, they extract it from there, until the, the, the balance of the smart contract is completely drained. How does this happen? Well, what happens is when you're requesting to take funds from a smart contract, let's say you deposit one ETH into a smart contract, you own that deposit, and you have the ability, based on the logic of the smart contract, to withdraw that one ETH. So, okay, so what happens? You say to the smart contract, I would like to withdraw this one ETH. The smart contract checks to see, do you have at least a one ETH balance? Yes, you do. And it will now begin processing the withdrawal. Now, what will then happen is they will verify at the end that the funds have left and now update your balance to be zero. What happens with a re-entrancy attack is that last part doesn't quite complete. So what I can do is I can say, I would like to withdraw that one ETH. The smart contract verifies that I have a one ETH balance and it processes the withdrawal. Now, before it verifies, that now and updates my balance to be zero, the attacker can request another one ETH to be withdrawn. And before its balance has been updated, the smart contract checks, says, okay, yeah, actually there is one ETH here, and processes the withdrawal. And then the attacker again requests the one ETH draw. It's kind of like an infinite loop, right? And it continuously thinks that you have that one ETH balance. You repeat that until you drain all the funds. This is exactly what happened with this re-entrancy attack. It is truly devastating and brutal when you're exposed to something like this. And this impacted four different, very large curve pools. And just for, for any of you that aren't familiar with what I mean by a pool, I'm talking about a liquidity pool. This is where two, two individual funds, um, two individual assets are stored within a pool so that you can trade between them. For example, USDC and USDT in 
largely equal parts will they they should be in that pool will exist so that if you have usdc you can trade it by putting your usdc in the pool and taking usdt out in equal parts now there were four pools here um the eth p eth which is jpeg uh, a big um protocol in in DeFi in the uh in the nft space they had a pool of around 11 million dollars worth of of both actual native ETH and their synthetic version PETH. Alchemix, their pool, which they had again, their synthetic version of ETH, AlETH and ETH in their pool, which uh, I think was around a similar volume. There was Pendle, another DeFi protocol, PETH and ETH, their pool, and Metronome's MS ETH and ETH pool. The, the other pool outside of these four was the CRV ETH pool. This is the Curve DAO pool. This is a pretty significant pool in particular because CRV is the native token of, of Curve. All of these were drained. The CRV ETH pool was actually drained twice. It was attacked twice. And the above, um, the, the, the aforementioned pools resulted in a total loss of $70 million in funds. So that's not good, obviously. Here's, there's a few things, there's a few wrinkles in this story, which one is just truly brilliant. And uh, another, which shows a few things that are pretty wrong within actually the, the crypto space as a whole. So let's start with the good piece. So one of the hackers <clears throat> drained around about $5.5 million uh, from the CRV ETH pool, right? So that's 2,879 ETH. Just as they are extracting these funds, they were immediately front run by an MEV bot. Now, if you're not super familiar with what MEV bots do, they, they effectively, you can kind of think of them almost like high frequency traders in this way. They sandwich themselves in between trades um, <clears throat> and ultimately front run trades. So what happened here? was it was front run by an MEV bot, which is uh, coffeebabe.eth, if uh, you, that's their public address, which is a white hat MEV bot. They, what, what that meant is, the moment the hackers drained this 2,879 ETH, it was immediately front run by an MEV bot, which then captured all of that ETH directly from them. So they, they hacked it all and immediately lost it all to this MEV bot. So now this individual who runs the Coffee Babe ETH uh, MEV bot now has all of this 5.5 million bucks, which it uh, which it gained from from uh, carrying out MEV. Now, that's a pretty nice win for for that individual or group of individuals. But here's where I, I felt like some of my faith was restored in humanity. Instead of just taking this and carving that out as a nice profit for the day. Uh, they actually returned the full 2,879 ETH to Curve, asking for absolutely nothing in return. So, you know, MEV such as they they get a pretty bad rep, but I think we found out here that at least one of them uh, isn't, isn't all that bad, right? And uh, so I think that's a really nice thing to see and is great. And, and at least some of that, uh, a sizable chunk, actually, 5.5 million there, you know, not far off, probably about... Ooh, napkin math, eight percent, right? As has been uh, kind of clawed back from from these MEV bots. Now, after the four pools were were drained, um, or, or should I say, the five pools uh, were drained, 
curve came out, confirmed that no other pools were at risk. Um, but, you know, the protocol curve saw huge outflows. People were panicking. Um, I was following this while I was uh, away on a weekend vacation, of course, without my hardware wallets. Wonderful. Love love watching my, my, uh, my, my funds just reduce in value while I have absolutely no chance to change anything about it. But <clears throat> what a lot of people did was remove a ton of liquidity from Curve just in case, you know, and the, the absolute worst case, this whole thing kind of collapsed. $1.5 billion in liquidity has exited Curve since Sunday. That is around half the, t the total value that was locked inside Curve. That is an enormous amount. You know, Curve is in the top, I mean, it was, I think, in the top three or four protocols in all of DeFi from Total Value Locked. I think it's now dropped down into the top 10 overall still. And Curve's CRV token, which is their native kind of governance token, which they also heavily use for incentives for uh, liquidity providers, that has been down real bad. Uh, so... Prior to the attack, even just a week ago, I think we were hovering around 74 cents per CRV token. It dropped as low as 50 cent um, in early this week, and I think it's hovering in and around the 55 cent mark. Let me just bring up CoinGecko real quick, and we'll just double check where we are as of 11.30 a.m. UK time. Let's see, 57 cents. And it's bouncing around um, right now, so it's <clears throat> down, down bigly is what I would what I would say. So why why does that matter um, in in the grand scheme of things? This is the bad side of crypto. The Curve founder uh, Michael Egorov has and owns an enormous amount of the supply of CRV. Not only that. But he has an enormous amount of the entire CRV market cap actively locked up as collateral that he's used against in DeFi protocols on loans that he's taken out to the tune of around about $150 million worth or 34% of the CRV market. That means as the CRV token was dropping in price, he's facing liquidations because he's hitting liquidation thresholds, which means that the moment that parts of his collateral get liquidated, they are sold on the public market, driving down the price of CRV. And as the price falls further, he's facing more liquidations, thus creating the, the classic death spiral. Now, he's been frantically trying to top up his collateral with stable coins that he's been trying to get on chain. Uh, he has also been selling batches in around 10 to 50k of other tokens i mean most notably he's been selling quite a lot of lido's ldo tokens to to cover some of his debt and he's been he's had a lot of these loans across primarily three big lending platforms the biggest Aave, that's where his largest position is the second is on frax so frax lend their platform and then abracadabra have not heard that since late 2021 and the the uh, uh what was it the frog nation danny sester um kind of a wonderland project and where 
Abracadabra and their native stablecoin MIM was used quite a lot, but he does have a big sizable position there as well. Here's the problem, right? So in theory, if we look at this in isolation, this should be the case where, okay, this is bad for CRV token uh, and token holders, but shouldn't really impact wider DeFi that much. Well, he actually just owns so much of the supply of CRV <clears throat> that if he gets down, and if CRV actually drops to a price of 37 cent and he doesn't manage to top up his collateral, which he would have to really pay back a lot of this debt um, pretty quickly to uh, if it dropped down to that level, which is definitely not unreasonable to think that this could this could spiral down. Well, there would be so much sell pressure, but not enough liquidity to actually sell these CRV tokens. Think the likes of Aave, Fraxline, Abracadabra, when they liquidate, they have to still sell those tokens to make back the cash on what they've loaned out. Otherwise, like real world um, lenders, they get stuck with bad debt. Now in a DeFi protocol, you know, what does that mean? If you're getting bad debt where actually all of the assets that you've been given are worth nothing and you can't even sell it off to cover the debt that you've lent out, which is, I think in Aave, something like around about 18 million um, that, that he currently has. There's been a lot of, of, of cash loaned out. Coincidentally, you know, uh, good old Michael has has used those those funds that he's he's loaned out pretty nicely, including his fifty nine million dollar mansion in Australia. Which, wow! If you have not seen the photo of this, go Google it. Michael Egorov's mansion in Australia is unbelievable. It puts the the Three Arrow Capitals boys' yacht to absolute shame. This is a a, a, a serious piece of architecture that he's got. Um, it's not a good look, is it, in, in this respect? He's effectively gambling with and juggling the, the, the fate of the entire Curve ecosystem on these liquidations. And it's fair to say he has been scrambling to pay off some of these. He's been focused largely on Fraxland. But, you know, if, if he does get, if, if we see CRV spiral down, which could happen in these like cascading liquidations, this could have real impact on, in particular, the likes of Aave, which is, I think, one of the largest protocols by Total Value Locked. And it's going to have to absorb, one way or another, that bad debt. We're seeing some pretty ugly stuff happening here. I saw earlier this morning, Abracadabra, their governance channel, putting out a proposal to actually change the interest rates that would largely target Michael Egorov's loan right? And actually would bump his interest rate up to somewhere in the region. And it's like, I, I am paraphrasing this a little bit. So bear with me if some of the exact minute details are slightly incorrect. But the TLDR is what they want to do is say, okay, we want to create staggered interest rates depending on um, the, the, the rate of collateralization on, on loans, which would effectively mean that Michael Egorov's loan would move up to like a 200% interest rate right? That's, that's a lot of interest to be paying, which would actually repay back the the debt within six months. Now, okay, there's, there's the ability technically in smart contract of these lending protocols to put forward governance votes to change interest rates, etc. But if we put the shoe on the other foot and said, 
oh, like a traditional bank is doing something like this and they're changing your mortgage terms in such an aggressive way like this in maybe, I don't know, like a housing market downturn like we're going through right now, there would be outcry. In fact, many of the people that might be voting on this uh, very proposal would be the one saying, hey, you know, DeFi solves this. This can't happen in DeFi. This is, and so it's, it is, it's getting ugly. It's a bit disappointing to see this. And what we're seeing is, what can happen on the other side of, of governance and where we need better measures in place. The real question in all this is, how was this loan able to be taken out in the first place when the outcome was always going to be this, this way? Yeah, and, and what we're starting to see is it seems like the worst right now is over, but if there is another twist here, liquidations start happening, a cascade happens and all of a sudden we start to see this kind of crumble across the rest of DeFi and we're actually seeing, unironically, I feel like this always ends up happening, Justin Sun actually coming to the rescue and buying up CRV tokens to help support the price. There's just like an OTC war happening now of people trying to buy CRV tokens OTC to shore up liquidity so that Egorov can then go and actually pay down some of this debt. But you know, we're just kicking the can down the road here. I think what this exploit has, has actually highlighted here is some really, really bad incentives that are in place, I think, in inside in CRVM. This is not exclusive to the Curve protocol, but some pretty reckless behavior, I personally think, from the Curve founder. And... It's a matter of time before the next thing happens where we see like a systemic issue and this loan is having a run for its money. And, you know, I, I, I don't feel great. I mean, th this is coming from someone that has held and currently owns like uh, a stake in both Convex and CRV. So, yeah, I don't feel great about, about that. But it's worth calling out what this is highlighting is some of the things that we really need to improve upon in DeFi. And I think this is where, unfortunately, we are, in my opinion, going to see a lot of regulation coming to DeFi. And while actually, I don't, I, I have always been strong on this, I don't think regulation is a bad thing. We're actually asking for more regulation and guidance um, in, <clears throat> in the wider crypto space right now. But as we've seen, when these kind of situations come up and regular people get wrecked, uh, you know, regulation by enforcement starts happening. I think we might start seeing a lot more of that. But wild time recap, you know, this is a pretty major event. And if you've been looking at your, your portfolio and seeing red across a bunch of altcoins, this is likely why. It seems like the exploit itself has finished. And I don't want to tempt fate here a little bit, but curve itself seems fate, um, safe. The Viper team have been in close communication. I'm sure they're putting systems in place to to avoid this ever happening in the in the future. The bigger problem here is the the loans that have been taken out from Egorov and what that means for the future of not just CRV token or um, the the CRV token, but what that means for Curve as a whole. And let's see how this all plays out with Ave Fraxland with Abracadabra and the 
the outstanding loans and what's going to happen from those sides on where we kind of see some infighting and hopefully pave the way to to more i guess um novel ways of thinking through governance i i've been heavily involved in governance over the, the past few years across a number of protocols and you know still we've not figured out a good way to govern decentralized protocols and i think this is a another wake-up call for us to get into a better place there so hopefully that gives you a bit of an overview wanted to get an episode out to really dig into this keep an eye on it and see how this all plays out over the coming weeks and of course we'll be digging in a lot more when i have my beloved austin back to to bounce around with me next week thanks for listening and we'll see you next week Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.